0: Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. If you've ever written or received a love letter, you remember how special it was. Today, Robert Quintana begins a new series on the Apostle Paul's love letters to the Thessalonians and explains what they mean to us today and the encouragement they bring. In part one of Letters of Encouragement. You know, we all love words of encouragement we all like to receive letters of encouragement or notes or maybe an email or a post um, I have a dear friend of mine that every once in a while he sends me a text message and uh, just this last week he sent me one um, and he just sends these periodically just out of the blue um, he told me I don't need to respond or anything, and it's, it's nice because sometimes I'm in a meeting and I just kind of pull the phone out and I read it, and it's just little words of encouragement, but this is what he sent me this last week. A modern mankind can go everywhere, do everything, and be completely curious about the universe, but only a rare person now and then is curious enough to want to know God. A.W. Tozer, and then he says, hope you're having a blessed day. Always remember Jesus is the only thing that matters. And that was his message. We all love to receive messages like this, don't we? Um, I know that uh, um, Heather's grandmom, Cinnamon's uh, grandmom, used to always send little letters of encouragement Now, she didn't know how to turn on a computer and she didn't know how to send email or it wasn't uh, via text or a Facebook post. She used to do it the old-fashioned way and put a stamp on it, snail mail. But uh, at home, she has a box with all of Granny's letters that she would send throughout the year, just letters of encouragement, just writing to see how my heavy is doing. And uh, a few years ago when she passed away, we were surprised uh, to find out how many people were receiving these letters of encouragement that she would send out just, you know, throughout the day, throughout the week. She would just send these letters to people and, you know, we gave an opportunity for people to, you know, speak and, and uh, several people said, you know, the one thing I'm going to miss is her letters of encouragement. We all love to receive letters of encouragement, words of encouragement. I have another dear friend who reads a chapter of Scripture every day and then posts what he, uh, what God impressed him or he posts what he read on Facebook. He's just sending out words of encouragement, words that will uplift, words that will build up. For the rest of this month, we're going to look at two books in Scripture, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And I'm telling you this because you can get a head start on the pastor. You can get a head start on the messages that are going to follow this month. So whenever you have time, take some time to read First and 2 Thessalonians because we're going to be looking at those books this month. But here in First and 2 Thessalonians, we have Paul literally writing a letter of encouragement to the church in Thessalonica. Now Thessalonica was an important city back then. It was right in the middle of a main route, and so there was a lot of commerce, a lot of trade. They had a harbor, and it was a pretty big city, very important city, and through one of his journeys, he went to Thessalonica, he went to the Jewish believers, and he shared with them the gospel message, and a church was planted there in Thessalonica, and then later when he left Thessalonica, on his journeys, he's thinking back about this church that he planted in Thessalonica. And so he writes a letter of encouragement back to the believers there in Thessalonica. Uh, people that are a lot smarter than I am, theologians and scholars, historians, archaeologists believe that 1 Thessalonians is the very first book written in the New Testament. was it wasn't Matthew. As I used to think, you know, I used to think they were all in order of how they were written, but not so. They believed that 1 Thessalonians was the first book that was written in the New Testament. And here Paul is writing a letter of encouragement to the church in Thessalonica. Now, when I was younger, I used to always get that kind of confused, you know, Thessalonica, Thessalonians, until I realized that we do the same thing today. You know, here we are, we live in America, and we are Americans, right? It's the same thing back there. It was the city of Thessalonica and he was writing the letter to the Thessalonians. And the same thing can be said of so many other letters in the New Testament. You have the the book of Ephesians, which was to the church in Ephesus or Galatia written to the Galatians. And and maybe that'll kind of help you understand a little bit why those books were named the way that they were named. But for the rest of this month, we're going to look at first and second Thessalonians, and we're going to study it, and we're going to find out what exactly Paul meant, you know, why was he writing to the church there in Thessalonica, and like I said, they really are letters of encouragement, and there were a lot of things that Paul was encouraging them to do. He was uplifting them, and he was saying things like, listen, continue in the faith, continue in the truth that we have shared with you, letters of encouragement. He would say, I've been praying for you without ceasing. I'm always remembering you in my prayers. He would say things like, I long to see you. I can't wait to make it back. And so here he's writing these letters of encouragement, and one area that he chooses to encourage the people there in Thessalonica is in the area or the subject of what happens to those who have passed away. He chooses to encourage those who have lost loved ones. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm reading from the New King James Version today, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And so here he's writing this letter of encouragement. And one of the areas that he chooses to encourage them in is in this realm of having lost loved ones or friends. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, I want you to know the truth about those who have fallen asleep or As Jesus said plainly, those who are dead, those who have died, I want to tell you what will happen because he says what will happen should encourage you. What will happen should build you up. And so I want to tell you, I don't want you to be ignorant about this because I don't want you to sorrow or grieve as those who have no hope. Let me pause here for just a second. And let me just say that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel sorrowful. You know, I've met people and I've talked to individuals who have lost someone that they love or they've lost a good friend or a family member and they feel bad, they feel sorrowful. They're experiencing this sense of loss and, and then on top of that, they feel guilty that they feel that way because they say, but I, I really shouldn't be feeling this way because I know that God has promised a resurrection and I know that, that God's coming back and I, and I know that I shouldn't be feeling this way. Can I just say that it's okay to grieve, It's okay to feel sorry. It's okay to be sorrowful. But did you notice what Paul says? He says, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. Because we as Christians, we who believe in Jesus Christ, we who have staked it all in the name of Jesus Christ, we know that he lived and he died and that he rose from the dead and in that he conquered death. And so we know that all those who are asleep in Christ will rise again. And so we can grieve, but we grieve with hope. Because we know the promise that has been handed down to us through the ages. We know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and that we just now wait for the fruition of that victory to come. And I believe that it is soon. I believe that it's just around the corner. We just sang a hymn that said, all the signs around us tell us of his second coming. And how long ago was that hymn written? I leaned over and I said, man, now more than ever, I mean, I don't know about you, but an earthquake, a hurricane, the floods, I mean, it just seems like something is happening when you look at the landscape of our country, the the moral decay, the financial collapse. When you look around the world and you see everything that's happening from wars to rumors of wars, diseases, pestilences, earthquakes, just like Matthew said it would happen, the time is near. The time is close. Here Paul is giving words of encouragement and he is saying to them, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope because we have a hope. We have a promise. And I'd like to share with you why I feel, why I think, that it is so difficult for us to handle death? I mean, isn't it interesting that the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that the living know that they will die? I mean, we all know that death is a part of life. We all know in this room that if we were to live long enough, every one of us would eventually die. Yeah, We we know it, but yet when it happens, it hits us like a ton of bricks every time. It can be an accident, it can be an unexpected death, it can be something that you've been waiting for that you've known is going to happen because someone's been diagnosed with cancer and they've only been given a few weeks or a few months to live and so you're expecting that it's going to happen. It doesn't matter if it's young, if it's old, death has a way of shaking us in our core, it doesn't matter if it's a dear friend, a family member, or if it's a total stranger, something that happened around the world, you hear about the earthquake in Haiti or the tsunami in Asia, and it hits you. You choke up, you tear up, you see the death toll, and something within you says, it is not right what is going on, and we cry out to God. I think I know why that is. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now keep your finger in Thessalonians because we're going to come back to that or put your, your tab there, your ribbon. But go to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to share something with you that, that leads me to believe or understand why it is that death hurts so very much and why it seems to be so foreign to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this, talking about God. It says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. Now listen to this. He also put eternity in their hearts. He has put eternity in their hearts. You see ladies and gentlemen, I believe that when God created us, he put in you deep down in your core, in your being, he put a desire to live. And not just a desire to live and to, and to experiment and to discover and to, to travel and to learn new things. No, no, he put within you a desire to live forever. He put eternity in your heart. So whenever we experience death, it tears us apart. It is so foreign to us. We go, this can't be, why does it hurt so much? Because when God created us, he never intended us to experience death. He created us to live for eternity. He put eternity in our hearts. And so this weekend, we remember those who tragically lost their lives, September 11. And leading up to this weekend, I've been seeing video footage and I've been seeing documentaries of of what happened on that tragic day. And there I am seeing the testimony and seeing the eyewitness reports and and there were times while I was watching this that I choked up and there was a few times where I even teared up as I was seeing how it just ripped them apart as they experienced death and as I saw what happened, I just I put my, my mind there and thought to myself, how can that be so much evil, so much death in one day? It's not right. God placed eternity in our hearts. We were intended to live forever. One eyewitness that really, really got to me was a reporter who had gotten to the scene and he was videotaping the Twin Towers. He was several blocks away and he noticed that from the flames above the flames, it was getting so hot that individuals were jumping And it says that he says in his, in his, as he was talking to the interviewer, he says that he recorded two and after the second one, he turned the camera off and just started weeping and crying. We were never meant to experience death. Death was never a part of God's plan for us. He put eternity in our hearts, He put a desire within us to want to live. And you can talk to anyone, young or old, if you were to ask them, do you want to die today? The answer is going to be absolutely not. And it doesn't matter if they're five years old or 105 years old, he put that desire within us to want to live forever and ever and ever. You might ask, well, how about those that commit suicide? What about those that take their life? Make no mistake about it, they don't want to die What leads them to that is that they want out of that situation. They want out of the problem. They want out of the struggle that they're in. And the only thing that they can see, the only way out of this mess is to take my life. But if you were to peel back the layers of the onion and get down to the core, no one wants to die. Everyone wants to live. Why? Because God has placed eternity in our hearts. And when it happens, it hurts. It goes contrary to how we were intended to live. It goes contrary to our purpose. And so here Paul sends a letter of encouragement and he says, I want to tell you about those who have fallen asleep Because when you grieve and when you feel sorry, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope because we have hope. We have hope. Now, what I'm about to say I know may go contrary to some of your beliefs. I know that there are many listening to me on the radio now. And, and what I'm about to say might be contrary to your belief. It may be contrary to the way that you grew up or what, what you've been taught all your life. But it's important for me to share with you what I believe the Bible teaches us about what happens to a person when they die. Now, please... If you disagree, you may disagree. That's okay. I want you to understand that at the end of the day, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. We believe that he was risen from the dead and that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and that someday those who are asleep in Christ will be risen from the dead and that we will live for eternity with Jesus Christ. Amen. But I feel that it's important for you to know, for me to share what I believe the Bible teaches about what happens to a person when they die. And the reason why I do this is because it's really going to help us understand the passage in 1 Thessalonians a lot better. But in order to understand what happens to an individual when they die, we have to go back all the way to the beginning, all the way to the book of Genesis. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the creation story. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We'll start reading with verse 1. Many of you know this story by heart. By memory, Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And now that was what God said. Now listen, you eat of this tree, you touch of this fruit, what you are saying, Adam, what you are saying, Eve, is that you are pledging allegiance to someone else other than me what you are saying by your actions is that you are pledging allegiance to someone who does not have life to give to you but if you stay in this covenant relationship with me i god says the life giver will give you life for eternity and so he says you pledge allegiance to Lucifer, you pledge allegiance to a creation of mine, you pledge allegiance to someone who does not have life to give, guess what will happen? You will die. And the Bible is very clear, folks, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you know, if you were to break down that text very interesting. It is a complete mirror opposite to one another. Check this out. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So you have wages on the one hand, something that you earn, and you have gift on the other side, something that is given to you. So it's the complete opposite. Here you have a wage, here you have a gift. The wages of sin, but the gift of God, God completely opposite to sin, sin completely opposite to God. Look at this. It matches up. So you have the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. It's the complete opposite. And so God says to Adam and Eve, you eat of this tree, you pledge allegiance To Lucifer, you sin or you go against my principles, you go against who I am and what I'm all about, you go against my purpose for your life, I am telling you, you will die. But listen to how Lucifer responds here in verse 4 Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. No, 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 wait a second, Eve. Wait a second, Adam. Not true. You won't really die. No, no, no. You will be revitalized. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Folks, mark it in your Bibles. This is the first recorded lie in human history. And could it be that Lucifer, Satan, could it be that the devil is still using this lie today? That you're not really gonna die. No, no, you, you can do whatever you want, but you're not really going to die. Could it be that even within our church? Even within the Christian community, he's still using this lie that when you die, you don't really die. No, no. You just move on to a different state of being. You just move on to a different form. You just move on and you become something else. It's interesting to me that when you study world religions, when you study pagan religions, and unfortunately, when you even study mainstream Christianity, when you die, you don't really die. You either become the god of your own planet and you're given, I don't know how many women, so that you can populate that planet. You you don't really die. No, you're reincarnated. You come back as something else. Depending on how you live your life now, well, that determines how you come back. Maybe you'll come back as a wealthy man. Maybe you come back as an insect or a worm or a cow. I don't. But when you die, you don't really die. You see what I mean? You come back as something else. When you die, you don't really die. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And if God's not sure, in some circles, they believe that if you go to purgatory. And there, you know, you just wait. It's like this big waiting room while you determine... You know, while God determines where you should go. And if, if there's people in, in in this life who decide that they want to baptize themselves on your behalf or give money to the church on your behalf and and maybe work their way out of purgatory up to heaven, or maybe it gets to the point where where God says, Yeah, sorry, buddy, but no one loved you enough, you know, on earth, so we're gonna send you down. But the you know, when you die, you don't really die. You just go on living another way, a different way, a different form, a different state. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And it's no coincidence that Jesus and Paul refer to death as a sleep. And we're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to go back to Thessalonians here in just a second. But I want to go even a little farther back to understand the makeup of the human soul. So go back with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And this is very important for us to understand the equation here, for lack of a better word. Chapter 2, verse 7 says this. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Some translations will accurately translate this as became a living soul. Now, some might say, oh, pastor, it's semantics, but it's not. This is important. You don't have a soul. According to Scripture, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. Let let me say that again because it's important that this concept gets through to you. The Bible doesn't teach that you have a soul, the Bible teaches that you are a soul. And what makes up that soul? Well, chapter two here in Genesis, verse seven tells us what makes up this soul. The dust of the ground, the physical elements, the dust of the ground, the body, and the breath of God, or as some translations might say, the spirit of God. When you put those two things together, what do you have? A soul a living being, a living, breathing soul. If you were to remove either one of those two, what happens to the soul? It ceases to exist. Now see, that's foreign to us. That that doesn't make sense. We want to think that the soul keeps on living somehow, some way. Why? Because God put eternity in your hearts. And deep down in your core, you know that we were meant to live forever. But God says, the soul who sins shall die. And so, if you remove either one of these two things that make up the soul, what happens to the soul? Ceases to exist. You remove the body, and some people are tragically killed in an accident. They damage their body through years of addiction or abuse. You abuse your body. Eventually, your body wears out. What happens to the body? It deteriorates. It dies. What happens to the living being, the living soul, ceases to exist? There are times, as we are told in Scripture, where God says to someone, don't touch the ark. And the man touches the ark. God removes his spirit, removes his breath, and the man falls dead on the ground. The two things that make up a living soul is the dust of the ground and the breath of God or the spirit of God. When you put those two things together, you have a living soul, a living being. Let me try and explain it to you this way. Think of a light bulb. You have a light bulb, you have the physical element, the physical body of a light bulb. You infuse energy into that light bulb, what do you have? Light, right? You have light. For the first time, you have light. You have the body of the light bulb, you put energy into it or the breath of God or the spirit of God into the body and you have light. You have a living soul. Now, what was to happen if I was to take that light bulb and just break it? Where does the light go? Does the light take a different form? Does the light go on somehow? Is the light ring? Re- the light's gone. Ceases to exist. Same way if I was to unplug the energy source and there's no longer the breath of God or the spirit of God being infused into that body that light bulb, what then happens to the light, ceases to exist. I tell people this to try and help them wrap their minds around this concept, is who were you, where were you, what were you before you were born? Nothing. Until God took the elements, until he took his breath, and he brought it together And there was life, and you were born. You remove either one of those two things, there's no life. In fact, the book of Job tells us that the body returns to the earth where it came from, and the breath of God goes back to where it came from. So, here, Paul is giving a letter of encouragement And he's saying, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died. Because when you grieve, you should be grieving with hope. You know that Jesus described death as a sleep. He described death as his sleep when talking about Lazarus. He goes, I go to wake Lazarus up from his sleep. His disciples said, well, if he's sleeping, Lord, he's going to get better. And then he had to say to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I go that I may wake him up. I go to resurrect him from the dead. You know, I know that for some of you this is hard to swallow or even wrap your mind around. I just ask that you prayerfully consider the words that I speak. I prayerfully con- ask that you prayerfully consider these passages that we've read. And if you want to know more, just go to our website, fredericksdachurch.org. There's many Bible studies. There's one Bible study there that will share you so many passages in Scripture that talk about this very subject, about what happens to a person when they die. Did you know that the Bible mentions the word soul over 1,600 times? And never once does it say immortal soul. Never once. Over 1,600 times the Bible mentions the word soul. Never once does it say immortal soul. When the Bible talks about immortality, you know who it's referring to? God. Because the Bible tells us that only one is immortal. The one who is there in unapproachable light, that's right, God is the only one who possesses immortality. The Bible also talks about immortality as a gift that this immortal God will give to his people. That's right. Will give to his people as a gift. If you are in Christ or you have died in Christ, God has a gift for you. And that gift is the gift of immortality. I'd like for you to read with me Um, Here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you're going to read this transaction that takes place where God gives his people the gift of immortality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. And it says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now here, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And I think it's um, quite humorous that the greatest evangelist who has ever lived, a man that you would think had a very tight relationship with God and Jesus Christ and understood his ways and and what God's purpose was, he says, listen, what I'm about to tell you, I really don't know how it's going to happen. I just know it's going to happen. I'm not too sure on the details here. I tell you a mystery. I'm not sure how it's going to happen. Paul says, I just know it's going to happen. And so he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die. The absence of life. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. When When, when, when is this transaction going to take place? When is this gift going to be given to the people of God? At the last trumpet. When is that? The second coming of Jesus Christ. From my understanding, as I read this text, immortality is not given to us when we die now. The Bible refers to death as a sleep. And you enter into this unconscious sleep and you are resting in your beds as the Bible refers to death also. You are resting in your beds until Jesus comes. Until Jesus comes. Shows himself strong on the precipice of this planet and says, No more sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. Johnny, come forth. Mark, come forth. Janice, come forth. Luke, it's time for you to wake up. Come forth. Linda, girl, come forth at the last trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise. And he says here, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? My friends, we have an amazing promise in Jesus Christ. Through his life, And through his sacrifice and through his resurrection, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he makes us a promise that he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. And so if you are in Christ Or if you so happen before he comes, fall asleep, but you fall asleep in Christ. In other words, in that covenant relationship with him, there is hope. And this is why he says, Paul, and to the Thessalonians, you can sorrow, you can grieve, but you can grieve with God. Hope because we have a promise that in Christ Jesus we will have life. Now, I want to also pause here for just a second and just advise you, encourage you. Don't fall into the trap of judging or passing judgment. Don't fall into the trap of saying, oh, man, I just don't think dad is going to make it. You know, I understand the Bible says that by their fruits, you will know them. But I think too many of us, we torture ourselves with the thought that I don't think Uncle Joe or, you know, I just don't think that dad, you know, had it right with God. Listen, let God be the judge. The Bible tells us that we judge on the outside. God knows what's in the heart. And so there may be an individual that we're thinking of just now that we think, man, I just don't think they're going to make it. Just put it in the hands of God because God knows what was in that person's heart. They know what their intentions were. So let God be the judge. Let him pass judgment. Let's just trust in him that he knows best and that he will, check this out, he will judge righteously. He will judge with mercy. He will judge with love. And that there, if there's any way for a person's salvation, guess what? He's gonna find it. He's gonna make sure that that person is in heaven. So leave the judging up to God. Don't get caught up in all of that. But it says here, let me just read it again. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Through Jesus Christ, we can be victorious. And so here Paul is writing to the church in in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, and he's he's writing them a letter of encouragement. And so I'd like for you to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to wrap this up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For all of us who are Christians and all of us who are in this relationship with him, we know the promise that if we are in him, we have life and we have life eternal with him. We have that hope. In verse 14, he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of us believe that Jesus died and rose again? In other words, if we believe this, and I'm assuming that the majority of you listening to my voice here this morning believe that Jesus died and rose, right? Right? So, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, I've spoken to many who have used this text to say, you see, God is bringing with him from heaven those who are asleep in Christ, which doesn't make sense to me in that why would you be asleep in heaven, but it's all a matter of perspective. In other words, if you believe that when a person dies, they go to heaven, then yes, you would interpret this as saying that they're coming from heaven. But if you believe as I do that the dead are in the grave, then this passage says to me that God is bringing them from where? From the grave. And this helps explain the rest of what we're about to read. Even so, God will bring with him, that is, bring with him out of the grave those who sleep in Jesus, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Listen to these words of of encouragement these beautiful words, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now can you imagine Being one of those early Christian believers, receiving a letter from Paul, a letter of encouragement, and maybe you had already experienced a loss in your family or a friend. Undoubtedly, some Christians there had experienced the loss of a loved one. And then Paul writes to them and says, listen, don't grieve. Don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because I want to tell you something, that if you are in Christ, whoever is in Christ, when Jesus comes back on that day, on that last day, when the trumpet sounds and the voice of an archangel and this universe just lights up and and, and just angels are singing and we are just overwhelmed with the glory of God. Listen, the dead in Christ will rise first. Why? Because that person that gave their life to Jesus, that person that gave their life to God, that the person, that, that individual has been seared in the mind of God. That person has been engraved in the palm of his hands. He's not going to forget. He's not going to forget a child of his. No, he's going to call them forth And he says here, the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18, he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. We have an opportunity today to share words of encouragement. We have an opportunity to go out of this place and share words that will build up and not tear down. And one of those areas in life that we can speak into someone's life is say to them, Listen, I know you've lost someone that you love, but I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, there is life, there is resurrection. So as you grieve, as you hurt, because I'll grieve with you and I hurt with you, but I want you to remember the hope and the promise that we have in Christ Jesus, that in him there is life, there is resurrection, and that that day is just right around the corner. Listen, I hope and I want to encourage you to read these books on your own because we're going to spend time this, this month Looking at First and Second Thessalonians, there's some great stuff in here. Letters of encouragement. Just be encouraged here today that if you are in Christ or if you have a loved one who has passed away, let's just hope in Christ. Trust in him, knowing that in him is life and life eternal. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link.